You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, right? And that means that what he pursued after, what his heart was after, was the things that God's heart was after, a man after God's own heart. I want what God's heart is on the matter. What does God say about this? What does God want me to do concerning this? What is God's heart? Just like David was a man after God's own heart, Pastor J.D. in today's message will encourage you to live your life in line with God's heart. Pastor J.D. will explain that to live your life in line with God's heart means that instead of following your inclination to do what you want to do, you choose to follow God and do what God wants you to do. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 141, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, Psalm 141. We're told it's a Psalm of David. Again, all of the Psalms we're going to be looking at are written by David, also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Verse 1, he writes, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Don't delay in hearkening unto the voice of my cry, Lord. I I need you to hear and move your mighty hand now as only you can, because I'm in trouble. (laughs) I really need thee. Oh, I need thee. He says, give ear to my voice when I cry to you. Let my prayer, verse 2, be set before you as incense. This is a reference, we see it again in the book of Revelation, where the prayers of God's people are fragrant as incense before the throne of God. Precious, you might say, in the sight of the Lord. He says, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. You know what's interesting about what David says here is that it indicates how David was keenly aware of the proclivity of his own heart. I'll explain what I mean by that. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, right? And that means that What he pursued after, what his heart was after, was the things that God's heart was after, a man after God's own heart. I want 
what God's heart is on the matter. What does God say about this? What does God want me to do concerning this? What is God's heart? David was a man who was, for lack of a better word, hypersensitive to ever grieving the heart of God. He knew of his own propensity, his his own proclivity to do evil, to have that inclination. Do not incline my heart. (laughs) I would suggest that he was also keenly aware of what the prophet Jeremiah would say concerning how desperately wicked the heart of man is. The heart of man is so desperately wicked and, and evil. I mean, you, you, you don't even know. <laughs> you can't even know how evil your own heart is, and it's irreparable. And David knew it. He was sensitive to it. And he knows that he is just as prone as anyone to be inclined to join with those who practice wickedness, men who work iniquity. Also interesting to note there in verse 3 where he says, keep watch over the door of my lips. Guard my words, Lord. I think of that proverb that says basically this, it's a paraphrase. With many words, transgression is unavoidable. Translated, (laughs) the more you talk, the better likelihood there is that you're going to sin. I think of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon writes, Let my words be few. You are God in heaven, here am I on earth. Oh Lord, it's like David would say and pray, guard my mouth. Let my words be few, because I know of my own proclivity when it comes to iniquity. And the enticement of joining with those and eating with those of their delicacies. Now verse 5 is interesting. He says, let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. Again, I hope you don't mind if I weave in some of the wisdom of the Proverbs, because it's so fitting, so apropos. But there is that proverb that says, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, if you really love me, if you're really my friend, you will speak truth to me, because you really care about me. Yes, it might hurt, but you love me enough to speak the truth in love because of love. I know my wife loves me very much. You know why? Oh, she doesn't hold back. I mean, she'll, she, anyway. (laughs) You know, they're not a friend if they only tell you what you want to hear. It's the true friend that will tell you what you need to hear. 
even though it might hurt. Sometimes the truth does hurt, right? One of the things I'm learning is, is that initially you might resent it, but ultimately you will very much appreciate it. And conversely, when it comes to the enemy who says what you want to hear, multiplies kisses, initially you'll appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. But I guarantee you, ultimately, you will resent it. Why didn't you tell me the truth? Why didn't you tell me the truth? So this is what David is saying here. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let not my head refuse it. Don't, don't let me reject it. Let me receive it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges, verse 6, are overthrown by the size of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. What are words? They're listening. Verse 7, our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave, as when one plows and breaks up the earth. But, now I, I love this word where David, verse 8, turns this corner. I mean, here he's just described what is arguably a very difficult situation that he's in, that he's crying out to God concerning. But, and this changes everything, it's a but God. <laughs> My eyes are upon you. O God the Lord. Uh, it's as if to say, I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to listen to them. My eyes are going to look to you instead. My eyes are on you. O God the Lord. In you, he takes it a step further, I take refuge. Where else am I going to go to be safe? safe under the shadow of your wings. In you I take refuge. And this is rhetorical, I guess, maybe for lack of a better word off the top of my head, but he, he says, do not leave my soul destitute. God's not going to do that. Verse 9, keep me from the snares they have laid for me, and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. I like that. By the way, that's another proverb. Basically goes like this. If you set a trap for a righteous man, that trap that you set will be the trap that you yourself fall into. I think about Haman in the book of Esther. Remember that study? What a book, man. He, he prepares these gallows for Mordechai. And, and gallows, don't, don't picture, you know, a, a noose, you know, that he's going to be hung on. No, this was way more evil. It was actually this, um, how do I describe it? It was a, a, a tall, 
Paul, some of you are going, I just ate, can you be merciful? Not so graphic. Basically they would be impaled on this thing. This was what he had set for Mordechai. And not only is he the one that's impaled on this, but so are all of his sons. And this is, this is okay to pray, by the way. You might look at this at first read and say, wow, David, I mean, <laughs> where's the love? Let the wicked fall into their own traps while I escape safely. Wow. No, there's nothing wrong with that. They brought this upon themselves. The judgment of God will come. They have set this trap. They are workers of iniquity. In a sense, they've already sealed their fate. You know, there does come a time, we're told, when the Spirit of God will stop striving with man. Seek the Lord while He may be found. You know, one of the questions I get asked often is, you know, how, how is it that, you know, some people, you, you, you realize that, I mean, they're so far away from God, they're, they're blasphemers, they're rebellious, they're wicked, they're evil, and their hearts are so hard. And I think about in the book of Genesis, where, where we read eight times where we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And at first read you think, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. No wonder he wouldn't let God's people go. God hardened his heart. He didn't stand a fighting chance. That's not what it means. What it means is, is that God was giving him over to the hardness of his heart. He had already hardened his heart. See, God's not going to force himself on us. We know it's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? But God's never going to force Himself on somebody. He has given us free will, sovereignty over our own lives to choose life, to choose Him. Which, by the way, is why it is that when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't just start all over. That's why he put the tree in the garden in the first place. Because they would have to choose him. This is a, I didn't mean to go off in this direction, but since I already did, I might as well just try to continue putting all of those worms back in the can. You ever wonder where those things come from? A can of worms? I opened up a can of worms. <laughs> Who wants a can of worms, let alone an open one? So here's the question. Lucifer is cast out of heaven and takes a third of the angels with him. Why wouldn't God just say, okay, do over, start over. Instead of casting Lucifer out of heaven, sending him down to the earth, which Adam and Eve were to subdue, and they didn't, necessitating the second and final Adam, Jesus the Christ. Why didn't, after Lucifer did that, and a third of the angels went with him, why didn't he just zap them, and get rid of them, and 
let's uh, start over, because the other two-thirds of the angels in heaven would have thought to themselves, I'm going to try to explain this as simply as I can, whoa, we better watch ourselves. So now all of a sudden they are serving the God Most High out of fear and not love. Now it's not a choice. Let's just take it further and say, okay, in the garden uh, there's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here Adam and Eve are told, you can eat of all of the trees. I can't even imagine how many trees and how luscious and wonderful and delicious the fruits on those trees were. But he says, of this one tree thou shalt not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Now why would he do that? Because if that tree was not there, then that choice is not there, and they're serving God by force. They don't have any choice. Here's an illustration. Bear with me. It would be like this. There's only one man on the entire planet for my wife to marry. She doesn't have any choice. <laughs> you, want to, you want to marry me? Well, what else am I going to do? I mean, she, she has no choice. See, God wants us to choose Him of our own volition, which is why He gave us free will. And that's why it is that there will be those who, I believe, in, in Romans chapter 1 actually, it's a gnarly chapter, where God talks about giving them over to their lusts, woman for woman, man for man. It's, it's like they've already made their decision. Their mind is already made up, their heart is already hardened, and their fate is already sealed. And God just says, okay, I, I, can't, I can't force you to choose me. So your mind is already made up, your heart is already hardened, and your fate is already sealed. And that is to whom I believe David is referring to in this psalm. You know what I love about Psalm 141? It's really honest, isn't it? I love this about God's Word. I was just, uh, this last week, I had never thought of this before, but in the Old Testament you have TMI, too much information about the unthinkable sins that were committed by these men and women of God. I mean, we, we know about Abraham lying more than once. I mean, here's this great man of faith, right? Lies about Sarah, his wife, being his sister, because she was so beautiful. And he was afraid that they would, you know, kill him and take her, so he lies. I mean, you could just go through all of the pages of Holy Writ and find Abraham, Isaac. Isaac, oh my goodness. Then you get to Jacob, you think, 
God, truly, you choose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Of all of the patriarchs, you would choose Jacob, whose name is the nature, meaning heel snatcher, basically. He was a a con guy, man. He was a real clever, cunning, you know, plotting, conniving, you know, guy. And God changed him from Yahob to Israel, meaning ruled by God. Changed his name, and in so doing, changed his nature. And Yahob would become Israel, who would have 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if I were God, good thing I'm not, <laughs> I wouldn't have chose him. I would not have chose him. But God does. But boy, you look at the the life of Jacob. Again, too much information. For those of you who were with us during our study in First and Second Samuel and the Kings and the Chronicles subsequently, was that just, in some cases, wasn't that just a brutal study concerning David? I mean, I, I don't want to know that about David. I don't want to know about how he lusted after Bathsheba when he should have been out with his army, chose to kick back and rest on his laurels when kings would go to war. That was his first mistake. He sees her, sends for her. His faithful men say to him, they're pleading with him, David, don't do this. But he does. And then she gets pregnant, and he tries to cover it up. And then he plots, very cunning, very, I mean. He has her husband, Uriah the Hittite, come home from the battle lines to try to get him to, you know, have relations with her, so that he could, he was, think about this, he was actually willing, if he could have pulled that off, God was no way going to let him get away with it. If he could have pulled that off, can you imagine as king of Israel, he would have lived a life for the rest of his life, getting everybody to believe that that was not his child, that was Uriah's. Because remember when he came home from the battle lines? And then I got him drunk, then I got him really drunk, then I got him too drunk. <laughs> And it didn't work. My plan didn't work. God thwarted it. Thanks for taking the time to listen today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has been taking us through the book of Psalms, detailing the author's messages of hope and pain, joy and sorrow. You may have found today that you identified with the sentiments expressed in today's passage. And if that's the case, we encourage you to explore more. Dive into the Word yourself and ask God to reveal additional love and personal truth that He knows you need to hear today. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in Psalms 2, you can find them online at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Are you a part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to urge you to remedy that soon. 
A church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can give of your unique talents in support of others as well. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. There's a lot to discover at our website, including a link to our mobile app, social media pages, and Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Updates. That website, one more time, is inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of Psalms, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <music> 